Hi, we are Alyssa and Tommy Schlenner. We live in Schnecksville. I work here at Riverbend and also at Chick-fil-A Whitehall, and Tommy works for the Lehigh Valley Airport. We have a one-year-old daughter, Lainey. <laughs> I've been coming to Riverbend for, I think, about 10 years now. I've been on a journey. I started out single. I've gotten baptized. I reconnected with Alyssa. Joe married us, and then Lainey got dedicated, and there's just been a bunch of different people along the way that have just been on this ride along with us. Joe has been a person who has been really important to me. I've been coming to Riverbend for just under 10 years, and my favorite part of Riverbend is just the people. Tommy mentioned that we've been through a lot of different seasons, seasons of singleness, dating, marriage, parenting, and we have felt so loved and supported by everybody throughout every season we've been in. And um, in terms of stretching my faith or growing my faith or how I'm able to use my faith outside of a Sunday morning, I think that being a part of a revend has taught me how to be the hands and feet of Jesus to other people in their lives, whether they're in the valley or on the mountaintop. And I'm so grateful for the ways that I've grown since becoming a part of Riverbend and the opportunities that I have to meet people and to show them and teach them about Jesus, um, especially the kids. I love being back in foundations and talking to them about uh, Jesus. It's so important to me, especially now as a parent. I'm so grateful to be a part of Riverbend and we can't wait to see what's next. Right. Good morning, Riverbend. Um, my name is Drew. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I'm also involved with the youth ministry. I've been helping lead that for the past year or so. And I just feel like between what Sam shared, the songs we sang, Alyssa and Tommy, and uh, just everything has already preached a sermon for me. I mean, it's just so already been so powerful to see how God knows us and how we're known by one another. So I guess we're done here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we are continuing our series, Known and Loved, where we have these kind of three categories that uh, Pastor Chris has kind of orchestrated for us that kind of reflect what our community groups are meant to do, how we are known uh, in community, how we are encouraged in community, and how we're sent out in community. And so uh, Chris kicked us off last week, and I'm going to continue us through the next part of the series here of being known. <clears throat> and so you can go to the next slide, yeah. So known, encouraged, and sent, those will be the next couple weeks here with Mike and Matt leading us through those. Uh, so recently, my friend Sean and I, we went on a backpacking trip. And as often happens during backpacking trips, you start talking about like survival shows and things like that. And Sean loves these survivalist shows. And I don't really watch many of them. Um, but it really illuminated how ill-prepared I would be if I was ever actually like needing to do this for longer than one day. Um, but you know, one of them that really stuck out to me was the show Alone. And the premise of the show, again, I don't watch it, but as described by Sean, was that they take these uh, great survivalists, like best in the world, and they put them all alone, and they see who can last the longest. Um, and what really stuck out to me was that the longest anyone ever lasted on the show was 100 days. And, you know, yeah, that's a lot. That's way more, you know, I'd last two. But these are the best in the world. And like, you know, most of the time, people only, the, the winner only makes it like 50 or 60 days. And in my mind, I'm like, wait, haven't we lived in the wilderness like throughout human history like 
a, a lot. Like, aren't, shouldn't we be better at this now that we know all the things we know and what to eat, what not to eat, all that stuff? And I think the key here of, of why it's so hard is in the title. It's alone. We aren't meant to and we can't survive alone. We are designed for community. And God even says this in Genesis. We think about he's making this perfect paradise and everything is good, but even before sin entered the world, there was something that wasn't good. It was that man should not be alone. And the type of community that we were designed for is one where we're known, where we're vulnerable with one another, where we have these rich relationships with the people of God's family. And as we know one another, we reflect the story about how we, through Jesus, have become fully known by God and how he's allowed us to know him. And when it's done right, this good news about what God has done through Jesus is woven into our reaction, interactions with one another. And so there's three areas we're going to go through together here today about thinking about how we're known. It's first that we have this resistance to being known. And second, that there is a sometimes painful transformation that comes along with being known. And third, that being known serves as evidence of the knower. And so before we jump in, would you just take the time to pray with me? <clears throat> Father God, uh, we're so grateful for how you have brought us together as a family, uh, an imperfect one here this morning, but we feel the power of it as, as we come as people, just as we sang today, how we're redeemed, how we are who you say we are, how we're restored, forgiven. Just all these words pouring over us, uh, reminding us that however we messed up this week, uh, you, your grace is, is here, it's present alongside of us. Um, God, we, we thank you for the families and people who have served uh, to protect our country this Veterans Day weekend. Um, we just ask that you supply them with um, a joy in knowing what their sacrifice means to all of us, um, those who are currently serving, and especially Evan right now in the Middle East, as, we, as Sam mentioned, we just lift up their, them for protection and for uh, encouragement during these days. So Father, be over our time. Help us to peer into your word and see you more clearly and see what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first we're going to look at how we have this resistance to being known. So we have as our default this resistance being known by God and this resistance being known by one another. We spoke a bit about Genesis, this first book of the Bible, how even in God's perfect creation, there was something that wasn't good. It was for man to be alone. And just a few chapters later in that same book, sin entered the world. And uh, this sin that entered through Adam and Eve's disobedience, the very first thing they realized is that they were naked and they made themselves clothes. They wanted to cover up the vulnerability that they had experienced with one another. And then right away after that, we hear this in Genesis 3. It says that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We see that they not only cover themselves up from one another, they then hide from God, the one who created them, them, the one who only ever gave them good things, the one who made the trees that they're hiding in. Um, they wanted to separate themselves from him. They were afraid, and in some ways, rightly so, as they realized that their imperfection could no longer stand before his 
perfection. And God's response here is critical. And I don't want us to miss this. Here he chooses to ask a question. Where are you? This isn't a show of his power. It's not a show of his all-knowing omniscience. It's not a show of his rule over all creation. It's a show of his desire to know us, a desire for his relationship with us. Because as we have a tendency to put up walls and have that separation, God has this unwavering tendency to invite us back in. And this isn't an isolated incident. As you read through your Bible, take a look at the questions that God asks us. And we see that in some crucial times, God leaves this open-ended question as an opportunity to choose him over our tendency to hide and put up a barrier. We hear that he asks Cain, where is your brother? He asks Sarah, why do you laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord when she's scoffing at the idea of having a child in her old age? Uh, He asks Job a lot of questions and a lot to his friends that are doubting him. One of them, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? And Jesus, he does this so many times as well. Who do you say that I am? Do you want to be made well? To Mary at the site of the empty tomb, why are you crying? And to Peter, approaching the one who had just a couple days before denied him, saying, do you love me? He's not asking because he needs to know. God's asking because he wants our hearts. He wants to do a work within us to pull us back to himself. And as he invites us um, into these vulnerable relationships with him, he goes even further. He entered into our vulnerability as the person, Jesus Christ. Um, Yes, we were separated, but God, he loves us so much that he didn't let this separation have the final word. We know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He himself opened the heavens and came down to bridge the separation. But because of our sin, we resist this invitation to be known. Right after John 3.16, that famous verse about how God so loved the world, it says this in John 3.19. This is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So we, we loved the darkness. And so like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, we hide we may personally be, look like an open book and share a ton of the details of our lives, post all the time, whatever it might be, but the deepest and darkest things of our heart, we don't share with others and we don't share with God. I remember uh, seeing an example of this in my own life. So uh, my wife, Amanda, and I, we dated long distance during college and then we got engaged long distance, but finally there came the time where we lived in the same city and uh, she moved from Ithaca to Boston as I was finishing up my senior year of college. And you know, I had, at the time, been living a pretty devoted Christian life. I was really involved in crew, shout out crew, uh, and really involved at my church and, and leading in these areas. But what I came to realize was that I was able to do all of these things with a mask on. Um, specifically, I was able to temporarily put aside my anger and uh, be in Christian community and spend time with them, and then just leave and not really deal with it. But when Amanda and I started living in the same city, we had a lot of time together. We were wedding planning. We were uh, now finally able to hang out more than just a couple, once every couple months. And what I realized was the mask couldn't stay on that long. 
And I was kind of shocked to see how I would snap and lose my temper in a way that I would never have let other people see before. And the, the Danish theologian uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he says it this way. He likens us all of, all of us to people at a costume ball where you would wear masks to hide your identity and reveal yourself at the end of the night. And he says, do you not know that there comes a midnight hour where every one of us has to throw off his mask? Do you think you can slip away a little before midnight in order to avoid this? Or are you not terrified by it? In every man, there is something which, to a certain degree, prevents him from being perfectly transparent to himself. And this may be the case in so high a degree that he may be so inexplicably woven into relationships of life which extend far beyond himself that he almost cannot reveal himself. But he who cannot reveal himself cannot love. And he who cannot love is the most unhappy man of all. Because the, the mask must come off. In the passage that we read in John, it says, light has come into the world. And we can choose to hide from that light here and now, but it will one day expose us. And as long as we continue to hide, we lose the ability to truly know and be known and enter into the love that God would have for us, both with himself and also with other people. And during that season of seeing my anger exposed, as I experienced this closeness with Amanda during our engagement time, I uh, realized you know, I had this inability to hide anymore. And I wrote in my journal at the time that you can't kill monsters that you can't see. And what I meant when I wrote this was that this anger, it was there all along. And this closeness of this relationship meant that it was inescapable that it was going to come into the light. And seeing it come into the light, it was painful, and alarming, but it was a good thing ultimately because now I can bring it before God and bring it before others and see myself actually become transformed. And that brings us to our next point here that there is this sometimes very painful uh, transformation that comes along with being known. And uh, I love, every time I preach, I feel like I talk about the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm reading through it with my son right now. Uh, We got to the voyage of the Dawn Treader and uh, I'm so bummed because he stopped, wanted to stop. There's a bit of a lull in the middle, but it gets to the part here that's my favorite part in the entire series. I just want us to power through and get to this because it's so good. So a little bit of an extended metaphor, but bear with me. It's, I promise it's worth it. Um, the book, it starts with, I think, my favorite line in any book I've ever read. It's the very first line of the book. It's, there was a boy called Eustace Scrub, and he almost deserved it. It's this unfortunate name that you can immediately know so much about him by this one sentence. He was uh, the cousin of the Pevensey children. These, the Pevenseys, Lucy, Edmund, uh, Susan, Peter, they, they're the heroes of the Nar- Narnia stories. And throughout the story, Eustace is very rude, obnoxious, entitled, um, but he ends up in this magical world of Narnia with his cousins. And he hated it. He hated all the people and all the creatures that he met when he was there. And then along their voyage, uh, again, magical world, he turns into an actual dragon. And when he realizes what happened to him, he first thinks that it's great. He can finally overpower his cousins and all the people that he doesn't like in Narnia. But something starts to change within him. And it says that the moment he thought this, the moment he thought about overpowering them, he realized he didn't want to. He wanted to be friends. He wanted to get back among humans and talk and laugh and share things. He realized that he was a monster, cut off from the whole human race. 
an appalling loneliness came over him. He began to see that the others had not really been fiends at all. He began to wonder if he himself had been such a nice person as he always supposed. And then as he's trying to figure out, you know, how do I get back to normal, he meets this lion. And this lion, the reader knows, is Aslan, the savior of Narnia, this uh, Christ-like figure in the series. And Eustace is terrified of it at first. But he knows he needs to follow it. The lion leads him to this pool of water and indicates that he needs to swim in it. But before he does, uh, he needs to like, take the dragon skin off first, that he's not allowed to swim in it the way he is right now. And so Eustace, he, he initially says, okay, I'll take my skin off, I guess. And so he tries. It's not enough. He tries again. Still on. Tries again. Three times. Just not working. And Aslan says, I need to do this for you. And you know, with his claw... Eustace says that Aslan, uh, with the very first tear he made, it was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. But the skin, it, it came off, and he was able to swim and turn into a boy again. And he tells all this to Edmund, one of the cousins, uh, trying to figure out what did all of this mean. And Edmund says that, I think you've seen Aslan. And Eustace says, but who is Aslan? Do you know him? And Edmund responds, well, he knows me. He's the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, who saved me and saved Narnia. And for, for Edmund, this is uh, way more of a firsthand experience because he, when he entered Narnia, served as an enemy of Aslan uh, for the, the white witch in the series. But I hope you see the parallels here, right? That God, through Jesus, has, like Aslan, come to, to know us. And this picture of how he de-dragons Eustace, this transformation of uh, this ugly skin that he's wearing is such a good analogy of what allowing ourselves to be known by him looks like. As he performs heart surgery on us, that he takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, it is not always comfortable. It's not always appreciated at the time, but it is for our good and for our flourishing. And this plays out in community as well. First uh, John, which Chris brought us through some of that last week, uh, it continues as it intertwines this idea where fellowship with God and fellowship with one another are part and parcel of the Christian life. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him, meaning God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We see that walking in the light involves fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, being known by him and being known by a community of believers. It can be a, a very abstract idea to, about putting ourselves in a position where we're allowing ourselves to be known by God and there are certainly practical steps we can take, right? Confessing our sins to God in our private prayer life and things like that. But often the relationships we have with God follow the relationships that we practice with one another. I know, at least for myself, if I'm not open and honest with the people who are physically in front of me, who I see face to face, then it's all the easier to just avoid bringing up whatever I'm going through with God or just avoiding having any time with God at all. In the, in the book, uh, what is a healthy church member? Uh, Tabiti Anabwale, he, he wrote this as part of the Nine Marks series. 
Um, but what he says makes a healthy church member, one aspect of what makes a healthy church member is that they seek discipline. He says that not only do healthy church members accept the Lord's chastisement, but they humbly accept correction from others. They recognize that often the Lord's correction comes through other members in the church, saints who care enough not only to encourage in good times, but to confront and correct when necessary. Healthy church members agree that better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, from Proverbs 27. And I want to be clear here, this isn't an invitation or a challenge to be ultra-public about your struggles. I don't want everyone after the gathering to just start telling everyone they see their deepest, darkest secrets. That would be pretty weird and not, not what I'm calling us to today. Um, this is meant to be in, in small, trusted relationships. And in his book, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, Jonathan Dotson, he takes the idea of these confessional, redemptive relationships and calls them fight clubs. Um, he, you know, based on the movie Fight Club, not like the movie Fight Club, don't fight each other either. Um, but he, he invites us to be part of these close communities of two to three people, you know, men meeting with men, women with women, and in these groups, you uh, first, you know your sin, second, you fight your sin, and third, you trust your Savior together. We have this group who can help take the promises of sin that we seek after and replace them with the promises of God. And we hear about the things, uh, as we meet, we hear about the things people are going through and um, the things that they're doing and realize that Jesus is better. And we spur one another on to discover that with, um, with one another. And so we, as we take part in what God is doing, we see the darkness give way to the light in our lives. Um, we need to open ourselves up to these type of relationships. I know it's hard, especially with um, you know, your work, kids, schools, activities, whatever else you have going on. Um, but it's not something that we can just aspire to do later on when I have more time. This needs to be something that we pursue consistently in every season of our pursuit with, uh, of Christ. So I work in engineering uh, for a metal, medical device company, Biberon, right over there. So this is where I get to the nerdy part of my sermon. Um, but uh, developing a medical device, so much of it is using risk management practices to decide on how you're going to design what you are working on. You look at the system and you ask, you know, what can go wrong? What are the hazards and hazardous situations involved with what I'm doing here and how do I protect against them? And it's not just under normal circumstances, but also when things go wrong. What if the user does something wrong? What if there's a software glitch or something isn't built right? All of that comes in to our decisions about how we uh, make these products. And um, you design features, settings, fail-safes, to mitigate the chances of these things causing harm. And we need to do risk management on our own lives as well. And we need to, yes, put personal practices in place, website blockers, th things like that. Um, that. Those are great, but the best protective measure that we can put in place is other people in our lives that we allow ourselves to be known by. We need other people who we can tell, I'm going on a business trip. I'd like for you to check in with me every day this week. Um, I'm worried about my frustration towards my kids and what it's doing to my relationship with them. Can I ask you for some advice? I'm spiraling with some anxious thoughts and I'm not sleeping. Can I just talk through this with you? Because we are closer to slipping than we think we are, either into sin from the temptations that we face or into despair from the brokenness of the world around us. 
And when we have these deep relationships, we allow other people to start to pick up when things are not quite right with us. It's like uh, with my five-year-old son this week, uh, Carson, he's, his fallen nature is figuring out how to lie and how to lie well. And it's, it's a terrifying thing. Um, but yeah, he came up with this story about how at school, they just happened to be giving out this little toy that is it's the same toy as my little sister has, but this isn't hers. They gave this to me at school. And he looked, I was like, wow, I'm pretty convincing, okay. And then I see that little smirk that he does. And I'm like, I know you're lying. And he throws up his hands, how do you know I'm lying? And I get to say, it's because I know you. You're my son. I know when you're lying. And as we allow ourselves to be known by one another, we allow them to pick up when things aren't quite right. <clears throat> and not only do we need to put ourselves in a position to be known by other people, but we also need to be on the flip side of that, where we are willing to go into the, the mess and the muck of other people's lives and sit with them in it. And do you love your friend deeply enough to ask them tough questions? When I think back to the deepest friendships I've had throughout my life, I think of the ones, not only just that we've had incredible fun times together, though that's great, but it's the ones where you know, the friend writes me a letter because he cares enough to tell me that I'm in the wrong about something. Or a friend who asks, is what you're doing in this relationship right now healthy and godly? Right? These are tough questions, but we realize how much they care when they're asked. A few weeks back, our youth group uh, in the climb, we met right over there, and we were looking at the one another verses. And uh, these are these 100 commands in the New Testament where something is said about how, what we do together as a community. You know, like, love one another, forgive one another, exhort one another, things like that. It's done a hundred times in the New Testament. And we had fun hilariously and failing to act these out in reverse charades and trying to watch a bunch of kids live out living in harmony with one another. It's like, how do you do that? It was pretty, pretty bad. Uh, we didn't score many points. But during our time reflecting on these one another verses, um, what we, what we said was that you know, this idea of you do you, this is not a biblical community idea. This isn't how we love one another well. But rather, it's, it's like uh, a friend was saying to me, this example in Lauren Daigle's song, Rescue, you know, God says he will send out an army to find you. That in the darkest night, in the middle of the darkest night, I will rescue you. That we are sent as extensions of God's love to love our brothers and sisters too much to let them stay in their lowest point or to let them stay on a path of self-destruction that they're on. That you as your, uh, that as your friend and God's servant, I'm meant to help him rescue you. And so when we take these steps to enter into one another's lives and allow ourselves to be uh, going into others, we course correct our identity to be one that's not defined by our separation from God, but rather, as, uh, rather by our adoption into his family. And this takes me to our, our last point today, where being known, it serves as evidence of the knower. And what I mean by this is that our act of uh, knowing one another well does two things. It reminds those of us who are part of the church of God's goodness, and it also reflects to those outside who do not yet call themselves part of his people, that they are invited into something beautiful. I love the uh, evidence of community that we find in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. Uh, the church, this was started by Paul and his church planting team, and there's evidence of this deep and rich relationship that he had with the people of this city that's 
not in all of his letters. He, he writes this to them in 1 Thessalonians. He says, uh, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. The bonds of fellowship ran so deep here. And there's this affectionate, desirous love that he had for them. And we see that this gets carried on among the people even after Paul and his team left. Uh, he writes them a few sentences later. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. They had this deep fellowship and affection for one another. Um, and that started to... Uh, blossom into a deep knowledge of the struggles that one another were going through. Um, we don't have time to look at each and every one of these, but uh, I challenge you this week, maybe read through First and Second Thessalonians. It only takes about 20 minutes or so. It's, they're both pretty short. Um, but it speaks of the church exhorting one another, admonishing the idol, performing church discipline when it's called for, encouraging those who are disheartened, helping those who are weak. The, the examples of how they enter into one another's lives are just evident everywhere. And as they do this, what they're really doing is reminding one another of the good news about who they are in God's eyes. It says in chapter 5 then, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Because that when, when they were seeing a brother or sister in Christ who had messed up and they don't ignore it, but they confront it, they are becoming a reminder to them and to the church that you are not destined for this. You are not stuck in this path, this trench of sin that you've been carving out for yourself. That when we see someone is going through a tough time, uh, a terrible health crisis, or um, just a lot of struggles that are happening around them, we can grieve and lament with them, but we also say this does not have the final word. Jesus has the final say over Satan's sin and death. And we walk in the freedom of that power that he gave to us. And so when we know one another well, we reflect this good news to an unbelieving world as well. Um, Jesus, he says this in John 17. He's praying for his disciples at first and then starts to extend his prayer to the entire future of the church, us included. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The, the way that Jesus here prays for the world to know him is by the example of the oneness that we have with one another. That us practicing knowing one another and being known by one another, while it's, it's difficult and painful, it leaves an impression on those who witness it. And this closely follows my wife Amanda's story of faith. Uh, we, we dated long distance throughout college, like I mentioned, and you know, there's one weekend later in our college careers where she came to visit, and uh, we had a crew campus gathering uh, that, that day that she was there, and afterwards we went and just had a hangout in someone's apartment. And I didn't think much of it at all. There was a guy that she was talking to that I know can talk your ear off, so I was kind of trying to get her out of that situation. And there's this other guy who I thought was being dramatic about a bunch of stuff. And overall, just a very normal college night. Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing to write home about, I thought. But as we were leaving, it was evident that God was doing something in Amanda's heart here. Uh, she realized that all of the stuff that she had grown up 
you know, being around and, and thinking that she believed this uh, Jesus being God and dying for us and rescuing us from the snares of sin and death that in that moment she realized it had to be true. And the reason that she came to this sudden realization is, is that without this truth, there's no community of relative strangers that would have the type of love and care for one another that she had witnessed there. Um, she was a, close of, a part of a close sorority sister uh, group. And you know, while those friendships were close, it, it just was different what she, ex- what she just experienced in that uh, dingy Boston apartment. It, it wasn't something that you can just find anywhere in the world. And that's the moment that she points to when she thinks about how she saw her faith truly become her own. Because a Christian community that was built around knowing one another was reflecting the knower, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so, you know, I encourage you, if, if you're here and you're a believer, search yourself for what you might be hiding, uh, not only from others, but also from yourself and from God. You know, it might be something you're incredibly nervous to do, but think about how you could seek out others to whom you can name this struggle, who can walk alongside you as you fight it, and who can point you to Jesus as you go. And ask for courage from God to enter into other people's mess and not just ignore it. I've seen such a beautiful picture here at Riverbend and beyond of how someone's mistakes do not define them and they're welcomed in. How the church will meet you at your lowest point if you would just let them. Um, you know, all the songs that we've sang this morning, I thought reflect this in such a beautiful way. You know, how he's, and really every song we sing here at Riverbend, right? We're, he's a great redeemer. We are a redeemed people. You know, we are chosen, not forsaken, that we are who he says we are, that the debt to sin has been paid in full and we have an all-sufficient merit that's now our own in God's eyes. And we get to reflect in this truth to one another when we know one another, flaws and all, and we choose to love anyway. If you're not a believer and you find yourself here today, first I want to say we're so glad that you're here. Um, But I am going to say that you're just getting one piece of the puzzle by hearing me speak because as we think about how God is reflected by community, um, you're going to see that much better reflected in these groups that we've been talking about, community groups, um, men's breakfast, women's events, things that are offered outside of just this day. You know, maybe you're only ready for slipping in here anonymously, hearing what's going on, dipping your feet in the waters of who this Jesus is about, and slipping away, and that's fine, but I'm positive God's not done with you with just that. Um, by uh, there's only so much of him that you'll, you'll know just by hearing me or Joe or anyone else talk up here on a Sunday. Because who he is is reflected in our love for one another. And it'll be imperfect, it'll be messy, but as you experience community, you'll hear the echoes of this truth that Jesus, uh, because of Jesus, God has made a way where we are not destined for separation, but for togetherness with him. And together we here at Riverbend are fighting to remind one another of the truth that we have been brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So would you uh, pray together here with me? Father God, uh, God, we, we bring before you our resistance to being known, uh, the, the barriers we put up, the, the things we do to uh, love the darkness. Um, God, we, we want to walk in the light that you have for us. So God, reveal in our hearts what we are keeping from ourselves, what we're keeping from others, what we're keeping from you, and help us to come to you with it. Um, God, also help us to be uh, 
uh, a good friend to those that we find ourselves in community with. Help us to not be afraid to ask, sit with them in, in their mess and ask good questions. Um, God, we, we know that you have done the same for us, that you came and entered into our mess. Uh, you, you say um, that the debt has been paid, that we have an all-sufficient merit. And so as we continue worshiping here today, God, just pull us closer to yourself. Um, help us to draw near to one another and, and become this perfect uh, bride of a church that you are calling us into. Um, yeah, God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.